can't believe it's June already. I'm not sure if you're in the same boat that I am, but I mean, it's June. Uh, it seems like we're just doing Christmas, and it, it's June. The funny thing is, is this week at, uh, at the gym on Tuesday, uh, they were playing Christmas music. On Friday morning at the men's Bible study at Twister's, they were playing Christmas music. Crazy, because Christy and I, we have a bit of a debate. She believes that Christmas music starts the day after Halloween. I believe Christmas music starts the day after Thanksgiving. Apparently, we're both wrong, and it's supposed to start the day after Memorial Day. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you, it was crazy. We were laughing about it as, as we sat there, and I'm like, sitting at men's Bible saying, like, I think that's, I think that's let it snow. I, I had to pause for a second, go, oh. and the next song after, they were, wow, this is, this is crazy. And think about how, how quickly everything is, has gotten here. But you know what? I, I love summer. I don't know about you guys. But I, I love summer. If I were to ask you, and this is, this is crowd participation time, okay? You're allowed to yell it out. You're allowed to talk. Kids, give me your best answers too. What is the one, at least one thing that you just absolutely love about summer? Go ahead. Give me an answer. Watermelon. All right. Barbecue. Barbecue. What was that? Swimming. I heard swimming. The heat. Now, that might be the, that might be the less. Somebody said shorts last night, and I kind of went, oh. But um, everything else. Everything else has been sleeping in, yes. Sleeping in is beautiful. Why? Because there's no school. I'm surprised the kids didn't yell that out first. No school. All the parents are like, oh, and all the parents, the kids are like, yeah. Yeah, summer vacation is just great. I love it. Now, there are probably three things that are, are my three favorite things about summer. Well, and really, I think probably there's a fourth one because it includes baseball. But um, the, cutting the grass, I know some of you are like, what? Washing the car and grilling, okay? Those are, my, those are my three probably favorite things to do. And I'll explain to you the first two because most of you guys just want, wait a second, why? Come over to my house if you just love cutting the grass. Um, I, I like cutting the grass because nobody at my house ever wants to help me. And you know what that means? I get to be alone. And I get to put in headphones, and I can listen to music or a podcast, and nobody's going to bother me. Because they know if they do, I'll be like, grab that shovel, go pick up after the dogs. That is, that is the thing. They don't want it to come near me, so that's good. Same thing with washing the car. I could wash the car all day long. You know, polishing, buffing it, vacuuming it out. I just, you know, w- arm rolling the dash. All that. I love to do that because nobody bothers me. And the same thing kind of with grilling, too. If you've ever grilled, you know that you can't rush it. You can't rush grilling. Because if you do, whatever you're grilling, it's going to turn out to be terrible. But if you take your time, whether it be meat or vegetables or fish, or I don't, I guess fish is still a meat. So um, the, the, if you have it there and you're just taking your time, you're standing around, and you know when you're hanging out with people, they just stand around. And any 4th of July party you've ever had or any kind of thing where a bunch of people gather together, all the guys stand around the grill. There's just something about the smell that comes off it, and you're just kind of hanging out, talking, and you're just taking your time, and you're just flipping, and oh, I love it. I love the fact you get to slow down during the summer. The thing is, and the question I have for you is this. Do we slow down? Even though we get to? Even though that opportunity presents itself, that, that sports aren't going full bore anymore, and that School isn't going full bore anymore, and the schedules aren't just everything we have to do. But yet, do we really slow down? 
I'm not sure if you guys remember a couple of, a couple of years ago, there was a commercial by uh, Kingsford Charcoal. And it shows this guy, he's kind of grilling. And it looks like he's kind of having a little tailgate thing. And as the, the camera pans out, it pans out to them all standing on the freeway and all the cars are just on the freeway and they're all grilling. And all it says across the top is slow down and grill. And I, I think about that and I'm like, yeah, you know, wouldn't that just be nice just to, just to slow down? Because we run at such a hectic pace. I don't know about you, but I am a busybody. I am busy all the time. If I don't have something to do, I will find something to do. Because sitting and doing nothing seems so unproductive. But when I think of summertime, I think about the um, immortal words of the prophet, the fresh prince of Bel Air. Okay? Uh, summertime, it's time to sit back and unwind. But how often do we sit back on, and unwind? If you're not a child of the 90s or 80s, you don't understand that reference at all. That's okay. Um, Google it. Um, our lives are so full, so full all the time. And the thing is, is that if we don't have it full, we, we fill it up. And what do we fill it up with? And why do we fill it up with that? That's the question I have for you this morning. See, God has actually called us to take time and chill out. He's actually said, be still. Stop moving around so much. He's called us to just slow down. Don't be so busy. See, I've, I've heard it said a lot of times, Satan doesn't try and make us bad. He just tries to make us busy. Because when we're busy, busy distracts us. Busy distracts us from everything else. Busy frustrates us. I don't know if you get frustrated when you're busy because you just can't do it. Busy makes life a blur. That's how come it's June already and we can't believe it. Because we've been busy for the last five full months trying to figure out what to do in 2014, and now we realize that 2014 is almost half over. Busy makes life stressful. Busyness adds worry because we're trying to get that next thing done, and we're worried about accomplishing it. Or what's going to happen if we don't accomplish it? Busy wears us out. And like anything else, when it gets worn out, think about a piece of clothes. When a piece of, clo- or a piece of clothing gets, gets worn out, it gets weak. And it's easily torn. And that's what happens when we get busy. That's why Satan wants us to be busy. This morning, I, I want to do something just a little bit different. I, I want to read Psalm 46. And I'm going to be reading from the, the ESV version. And if you have a bullet inside your bullet on the back of your note page is a copy of that. If you don't have it there, it's going to be up here on the screen. Because what I want to do is as I read it, I want you all to stand with me and read it together. And uh, we don't have to stand up just yet because I want to explain something. There are commentaries. If you don't know what a commentary is, it's a bunch of people's opinions about what the Bible has to say. And they look at the Greek words and the Hebrew words and all this stuff, and they explain exactly what a passage is meant and where it came from, who the author was and all that. But this morning, I want to throw that out for just a moment. And I want to read this passage, and I want to read it for what it is. And that is God's word to us. God's challenge to us. And as you read it, I want each of you to to take it in a way that how it applies to you. How does Psalm 46 speak to you? How is it where we're at? So if you have your Bibles with you, Psalm 46, um, we're going to be, like I said, reading from the ESV version. So if you don't have that, it'll be on the screen. It's also on your U version. It's also going to be right there in your bulletin. So if you do me a favor and stand up with me as we read Psalm 46. Psalm 46 starts out with this. It says, God is our refuge and strength, 
a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we, you guys can read out loud, it's okay. We will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. Now pause, because that's what Selah means. It means pause and reflect. As the psalmist wrote this, he paused and reflected on the fact that God is our refuge and our strength. That he is a very present help in trouble. And we pause in that and we think, because so many times we forget what God has done and who God is, because we're too busy. We don't pause and reflect. Pick it up in verse 4, it says this. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Pause. And you'll notice here that the God of Jacob is our fortress is mentioned more than once. And the funny thing is, is that it wasn't something we planned, but the song we sing at the end of our message today is give us clean hands, O God of Jacob. It's kind of funny how all that ties together because as we look at that God of Jacob, as we think about what he has done, we pause. Verse 8, come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. You can be seated. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful. We are thankful that you are our refuge and our strength, the very present help in trouble, that you are our fortress. Help us today to be still and know that you are God. Help us to slow ourselves down because we're always in a hurry. Help us to reflect on what you have done, who you are, what you are doing, and what you're going to do. Help us to take it out of our hands and put it in yours. We pray that this morning in your name, Lord. Amen. Like I said, I'm sure there's lots of commentaries that could tell you all kinds of things about that passage. And exactly how it's supposed to fit and what the sons of Korah were doing and and all the things and the reason why they wrote it and who they were and all those kind of things. But what I wanted to do this morning is just say, how do I be still and know that he is God? To know that he is my refuge, to know that he is my strength. How do I do that? Because that is a very difficult thing. You know, last night, uh, Maylee was here. Maylee is my my five-year-old daughter. And uh, I sat down on the stool up here and I had her come get up in my lap. Because Maylee, she's a mover and a shaker. She does not know how to sit still. She doesn't know how to sleep still, okay? She, she is always moving, except for one real time during the day. And that's in the morning when she wakes up after I do. I'm out reading in, in my recliner. She will crawl up in my recliner with me, and she'll nuzzle her way between whatever it is I have in my hands and herself, and she'll just nuzzle up against me. And she'll just sit there. And eventually she'll tell me she's hungry and she wants me to make her breakfast. But for that moment, while she is sitting there, she just is chilling out and relaxing and just sitting there in my lap. And it's kind of our morning thing that we do. And I I had her come up here last night and I said, May, why don't you come sit up here on my lap? And she sat here on the stool and I asked her one question. I said, 
what is it you're worried about right now? And without prompting, without me saying, hey, say this, she said nothing. Nothing at all. Have you ever stopped and gotten up in your Abba Father's lap, in your Daddy's lap, and just given him your worries and not been worried about anything at all? Because how many times if I said, what are you worried about right now? I don't think there's anybody in this room that could honestly say nothing. Now, you might say it just so I leave you alone, but honestly, what are you worried about right now? And there's way too often we won't slow down to put it in God's hands. We think that we are the answer. We think that we have it figured out. So what we do is we try and figure out the next solution. We try and find that one more thing to make us complete. That one more thing that we can add to our schedule so we can have worth. That one more thing that make us feel better about ourselves. But here's something I want you to hear. And if you don't hear anything else I have to say today, this is the one thing I want you to, to, to pinpoint, and that is this. Our lives will never be complete until they are completely in God's hands. Our lives will never be complete until they are completely in God's hands. I mean, why are we here? Why are we here this morning? Why are we living in Rio Rancho? Why are we taking and passing breath? Why is it that we're here? Is it to glorify us? Is it to lift ourselves up? Is it to make our life seem as humanly perfect as possible? Is that it? Is that the reason why we're here? No. That's not it at all, but yet that's how we live. We get this idea that if we charge ahead so we can get this project done, Why do we want to get this project done most of the time? Because we want to get the next project done. Isn't that kind of funny? We don't really think about it while we're doing it, but but really that's what it is. If I get this project done, then I can get that project done. We, We fly through life. And you know what you would think? That with the advent of of technology, with the amazing ability for technology to continue to change and continue to get better and continue to get faster, that life would actually slow down? You would think that. As a matter of fact, in the 60s, they had a subcommittee hearing on Capitol Hill that they actually discussed the fact that technology was starting to pick up. And this was in the 60s. Technology was starting to pick up and that they were going to have to rework the work schedule for a week because we weren't going to know what we were going to do with all of our extra free time. That was a subcommittee. This was the government in action. And I think they missed on this one. Um, They actually thought we were going to have so much free time that we weren't going to know what to do with it, so we'd have to reschedule our work week. But yet, has technology really given us that much more free time? Or has it done the opposite? Has it made our busyness worse? I mean, let me ask you a question. When, when you had to get a hold of somebody 20 years ago, did you have to do it right now? Or did they have to wait for you to use a rotary phone? And you have to wait for it to go, anytime there was a zero in it, worst thing ever. Did they have to wait for you to make that phone call? Did they have to wait just a little bit longer for you to get back to them? Now, if you want to get a hold of somebody, you send them a text, and guess what? They text you right back. If your phone buzzes in your pocket while you're driving, you're supposed to leave it there, but you can't, can you? 
you got to reach in and get it because you don't know what they're going to. I mean, it might be something really important. I mean, there's a sports center update that just buzzed in my pocket, and I don't know what happened, but it's something i got to know right now because that's technology. Technology moves fast. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you actually hand-wrote out a letter and had to put a stamp on it and wait three days for it to get to a person? Now what do we do? I mean, if you want to go really slow, you email it. Because they might have to take a little bit to read it. It's amazing what technology has done. You know, I'm not a prophet in any way, shape, or form, but I'm pretty sure that technology has made three things happen in this world. One, the world's gotten smaller. Two, it's gotten more complex. And three, our world has sped up. This week, um, I ran out of deodorant. And Christy was at the dollar store. And I said, hey, can you find something there that'll work? Normally, you know, I'm a degree, you know, I'm kind of that guy that has the same exact thing all the time with that kind of stuff. Um, but I said, so if there's something at the dollar store, can you, can you grab something for me? She came home, and it's a right guard. But I, I started laughing when I looked at the package. It said on the package, I'm not joking about this. If you don't believe me, I'll bring in the lid next week. It said, 72-hour protection. I went, who is too busy to put on deodorant every day that they need 72-hour protection. I mean, if you got 72 hours between showers, deodorant is the last thing you need to worry about. But I was laughing. I'm like, how busy do we need technology for my deodorant to be so advanced that it will cover me for three days without having to worry about it? We're in too big of a hurry. The world has sped up. Let's be honest. I live a much faster lifestyle than my parents did and a much, much faster lifestyle than my grandparents did. And guess what? My kids, they'll also live faster. USA Today actually wrote an article. This is what it says. Today, people are souped up, stressed out, and overscheduled. In this brave new world, boundaries between work and family are disappearing. Did you hear that? Boundaries between work and family are disappearing. Would you agree? If they haven't already disappeared? Everybody is mobile and every moment is scheduled. The daycare, the school, the after-school activities, and the 10 to 12-hour workdays, everything. And this fast-paced, pressure-cooker lifestyle is going to take its toll. As a matter of fact, anthropologists, guys who study humankind, they're actually studying right now the long-term effects of it all. But I don't think we have to study the long-term effects of it all because it has short-term effects that aren't going to change. And I've already kind of mentioned them, but I wrote some of them down. And the first one is this. That high-paced, go, go, go lifestyle, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to feel more stress. Solomon, the guy that wrote Ecclesiastes, the guy that God gave ultimate wisdom to, wrote this a few thousand years ago. Overwork makes for restless sleep. How many of us have experienced that? Yeah. Me last night, I wasn't even overworked. I just couldn't go to sleep. My mind was just running. And now we have all kinds of stuff. How many times have you had to use melatonin or Z-Quil or lavender essential oils or any of those kind of things just to to make yourself calm down, just to, because everything else is moving way too fast. We get moving. And when we get moving, we get depleted. We have a battery that needs to be recharged. And we're constantly going and constantly using it, and it doesn't get recharged, we're going to run out. 
Just like in a car, we're built the same way. An engine keeps going, it keeps going, but it needs fuel to get there. Anybody ever ran out of fuel before? And what an absolute pain that is when that light comes on your dash and you're like, I'm fine. I got this a little bit further to go. God has these lights in our life that light up, and sometimes we say, you know what, I'm fine. And all of a sudden, boom, we run out of gas. And we got a real problem on our hands. So the first thing we do is we feel more stressed when we're running that hard. Second thing is when we're running at high speed, we lose our joy. We lose our joy. See, the faster you go in life, the less time you have to enjoy it. The less time you have to sit back and enjoy it. I love The Amazing Race. That is my favorite reality TV show. The Amazing Race. I would love to try out for it, except I'd be the pastor that would make all the pastors look bad. And I'm just going to let you fill in the blank on how I'd make them look bad. But I, I'd be the one, they'd be like, hey, that's a Christian. And I'd be like, you know, choking the kid out because he's, you know. The thing about The Amazing Race that drives me nuts that I would never be able to do is you go around the entire world and you don't get to see anything. Because you were rushing to the next place and rushing to the next place, all in order to get to the prize at the end. How often do we rush to the next place hoping to get to the prize at the end? And the thing is about that is only one person gets that prize in that one, so everybody else, they're just racing around the world and they're missing everything. Wouldn't it be nice sometimes on the Amazing Race when you're like, man, that is really cool. I can't believe they're in Italy at that giant church. I would love to go tour that church. That'd be cool to see. And all those things. And they're like, hey, here's your next pit stop. Here's your next clue. Go. And they miss the church completely. They miss all the things that are out there. And you're like, wow, that's so... Two weeks. Five continents. 29 countries. And all four not. You know, they miss it. But that's how we go through life. We feel like it's this amazing race and we miss the details. Third thing is when we're going at a fast pace, we're actually less productive. Did you know that? Scientific, uh, scientific studies have said that the faster we go, the less productive we are. The more we're stuck inside of our box of this is our creativity, we can't go any further than that. But when we slow down and we let our minds work and we let God challenge us, it changes everything. And the fourth thing, and I believe the most important thing is this. When we're going too fast, we can't hear God. We can't hear God. Because if you're moving at a fast pace all the time, you really aren't even listening. You're just going and going and going. And we're not going to listen to anybody when we're in a hurry. I mean, think about it. When you're in the biggest hurry and somebody stops you and says, hey, I'd like to tell you a little bit about my life. And you're like, shut it. Okay? I got things I got to do. And guess what? That's kind of what God does. He says, hey, I'd like to talk to you a little bit. And you're like, I got things to do. I don't have time for you. That's the reason why he says in Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. Be still and hear my voice. Be still and relax just for a second. Take time. Because when our circuits are all busy, it's like those old phones. We're just going to get that meep, 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 meep signal. We're not going to hear it. All that activity creates so much noise, and if you don't slow down, you're never going to get to know God. But how? We know that we have to slow down. We know there's days when we wake up and we're like, man, I just need a break. You know, God has built that into us. But what do we do? How do we do it? Well, the first thing is this. The first thing is this. We realize that God is God and that you are not. Realize that God is God and you, you are not. See, that's a hard thing to wrap our mind around because we 
have been told our entire lives by every commercial that we watch on TV that it's all about us and that we are the center of the universe and our universe, and that's what matters, and that's where we're at. But God is God, and we are not. We may not fully want to admit it, but many people, including Christians, are very independent. We want to be the ones that solve our problems. We want to be the ones that take care of business. The thing is, is that true Christianity is fully dependent on God. True Christianity is fully dependent on God. So if we want to be independent and we have to be fully dependent, well, guess what? There's a little bit of a conflict there. And that's, that's an issue that we have. It's hard to swallow because we're fixers. We're doers. We're busybodies. And as we move along, we want to fix the problems. We want to do whatever we can to fix that problem. And our problem in our whole life, the one huge problem that we have that we cannot fix is that we have a sin nature, that we sin. And there's nothing that we can do about that to fix it, yet we try everything we can to do we can to fix it. Yet God already has fixed it. He is the fixer. He is the only way for us to be redeemed. And when things aren't going according to plan, do you think I really want to get up in Daddy's lap and say, God, I need you to fix it? No. I want to fix it myself. I want to take care of it. I want to do what I can to say that, look what I did. And you know what? It's kind of like me when I try and fix a car. If I realize there's a problem with my car, I go to YouTube and I figure out how to fix it. And while I'm on YouTube and I figure out how to fix it, the guy on YouTube knows what he's doing. I do not. And generally, the thing that happens is if I try and fix my car, when there's a problem, it comes out worse than when I started. Maybe you're the same way. But that's the same way it is with our lives. When we realize there's a problem, we try and fix it. And there's a handful of things that we use as band-aids to kind of put over the problems that we have. And here's, here's the thing, that when we say instead of God is God and we are not, we try and make ourselves to God in the fixture of our problems, the first one we do is actually use ourselves. That is our first Band-Aid, ourselves. The best way to fix the broken down, hurried, stressed out, restless, sleepless version of ourself is to create a new version of ourself, is it not? Isn't that the reason why we have thousands upon thousands of self-help books when you go over to Barnes & Noble? Isn't that the reason why there's so many things saying, this is how you fix it? We are the ones who can fix ourselves if we can just be a little bit better. Let me ask you a question. How often is it that we say, you know what, if I could just be a little bit smarter, a little bit more mature, a little bit better money manager, a little bit better time manager, a little bit better at this, a little bit better at that, a little bit more in shape, a little bit more of this, my life would be perfect. My life would be perfect. You know what you've been saying for the last 10 years? The 10 years from now, I'm going to be that person. I'm going to be just a little bit better. 10 years later, sitting here today, do you feel like you've reached perfection yet? Not quite. And not ever. Not without God. See, we try and do it ourselves. The honest truth, the honest truth is, is you're going to be hard-pressed to find anyone over the course of your lifetime that has not lied to you more, that has not fought with you more, that has not treated you more poorly, that has not failed you more than yourself. And that's the person you're relying on to make your life better. Isn't that kind of funny? 
when you really think about it. We can't depend on ourselves to save us from ourselves. Jeremiah 17, 5 and 6 actually says this. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness and in uninhabited salt land. We can't depend on ourselves to save ourselves. The next thing we can't, can't is we can't depend on others to save us either. Because too many times we get into a relationship where we say, if I'm just friends with this person, or if I just become buddy-buddy with my boss, or if I just have a boyfriend, or just have a girlfriend, or if I just get married, or if I just have kids, and these relationships, these relationships are going to save me. They're going to make my life that much better. They're going to take me that next step closer to perfect. You know what the problem is? Men make horrible gods. Women make horrible gods. Kids make really horrible gods. Yet we put all of the burden of what our life should be on them that God never created them to bear. He created his son. Or no, sorry, that's not, that's, that's not correct. He gave us his son to bear those burdens. He gave us his son to bear those burdens. He gave us himself in relationship to bear those burdens, to be still and get up in his lap, not to put them on somebody who he created. The third band-aid we have is this. It's religion. Religion. We think we can be saved by what we do. We think that there's this cosmic scale that as long as we do good things, it will weigh that scale so we look good in God's eyes and he will pour favor upon us. Well, if I do this, my team will win. Come on, we all have done that. If you're a sports fan, you understand that. Every Sunday during football season is, God, I promise I go to church if so-and-so wins. You know, that, is, that, is it. that is the way we live. We think that as long as we tilt that scale in our favor, and that's in all situations of our life and it's just somehow mentally ingrained into us i don't know why that is because we all know that those scales do not exist you either completely justified by the blood of jesus christ or you're not justified at all there is no scale that's going to tilt in your favor you're either completely justified by the blood of jesus christ or you're not justified at all it's that simple does that mean we shouldn't live according to his word no that doesn't mean that at all but it doesn't mean we do it to earn God's favor. We do it in response to the love that he's given us. That is why we live for him. It's like what it says in Mark seven fifteen: There is nothing outside of a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. See, it's not a problem on the outside. It's a problem that's on the inside. It's not about what we do. It's about our heart. And that's really where these band-aids are at. They're covering up the outside, but they're not taking care of the inside. That heart problem we have. See, it's a heart issue. And that where slowing down starts at is understanding that God is God and that we are not. That he is the fixer and that we are not. This, that leads actually to our second way of slowing down. Is that we have to learn to be content. We have to learn contentment. Because if you're serious about slowing down, and it doesn't start with your schedule. It starts with your heart. It starts with realizing who God is and that we learn contentment. Paul actually wrote, Paul, this guy who had persecuted Christians, 
for the good majority of his life, and then became a Christian. So he had it on both sides of everything. He had it good. He had it bad. He was healthy. He was sick. He was free. He was in prison. He knew both sides of everything. And yet he writes in Philippians 4, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And just like with our three band-aids, there's a a fourth one about wanting more. What the world has to offer me, that's going to make me better. That's going to make it all happy. But he says, you know what? That's not it. But we're naturally discontent. We're naturally wanters of bigger and better. But if you're going to slow down your life, you have to learn contentment. You have to. Paul goes on to say, there's great gain in godliness with contentment, for we brought nothing into the world, and we could take nothing out of this world. So as long as we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. See, Paul reminds us that life isn't about things. Now, do we have things in life to help us get through? Absolutely. But do we need all of those things? No, we just want, and we can use So while we're using those things, we have to remember that it's just a myth that those things will make us happy. There's a handful of myths that they tell us that that having more things will make us happy. It's just not true. Because I can guarantee that everybody in here has more stuff than they did than they did in college. Because everything you had was at college was was used and beat up and cardboard. And and now you, you have much nicer things. Can I ask you a question? Are you happier? Has it made you happier? All the technology, has it done that? Second myth is, is that doing more will make me happy and will also make me worthy. Because if everybody on the outside sees how busy I am and sees all the cool things that I've done and all the awards that I've gotten, all the things that my kids are doing, that's going to make me happy. Has it? Has it made you happy? I'd be willing to bet all that I have that it hasn't. It probably has only made you more stressed. And actually, that kind of leads to the third myth, that life is a competition. And if we win that competition, we'll be happy. Well, guess what? It's not. It's not a competition. God has made you unique in exactly who you are. And as we start comparing and as we start competing, it goes completely against contentment. Because if we're comparing and if we're competing, we're never content with what we have or what we're doing, or how we're doing it. We have to have the next thing so we can beat them. It's that whole idea of keeping up with the Joneses. I don't even know where that statement came from. But it's one we all understand. We have to keep up with that, that next-door neighbor. We have to have a nicer car, have a nicer lawn, have a nicer everything. And as soon as you start having to worry about that, you become discontent. If you're serious about slowing down your life, you have to stop comparing your life to others because then and only then can you start being content. So first, you realize you're not God. Second, you start to learn contentment. Third is this, and this is the one that I am most guilty of. Not saying I'm not guilty of the first two, but this is the one I'm most guilty of breaking. You have to listen before you speak. (gasps) I know. I know that is is brutal. As a matter of fact, as I was practicing my message with Christy yesterday, I kept thinking to myself, man, I'm guilty of that. And I'm guilty at that. And I'm all, yeah, I'm guilty at that as well. We have to realize that our mouth actually controls the pace of our lives. The speed and how you talk to other people actually influences your heart rate and your stress level. Did you know that? 
How often in a conversation have you shut off listening to what the person's saying because you're already thinking about how to respond? How many TV shows have you watched, especially those news ones where they debate back and forth, that all they do is interrupt each other? That's our life. And why do we do it? It's because we don't want to wait for them to talk. We want to have our answer out, and we want to be done with it, and we want to move on. That's just plain and simple. Camden and I have had a discussion that my dad had with me, and I'm sure that his dad had with him, and his dad had with him before that. God gave you two ears and one mouth. That means you should listen twice as much as you talk. Camden hasn't quite grasped that, probably because I haven't quite grasped that. That is something we have to understand. We have to listen. We are so impatient and we're unwilling to let people finish a thought. We, we interrupt. We're so eager to say our piece, to get our point across, that we won't even let somebody else finish theirs. And I'm terrible about it. I'm guilty, 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 and I'm working on it. And I'm failing still miserably. But look what it says in James 1.19. Everybody should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. You think there's a progression that takes place there? That if we're not quick to listen, and then we're not slow to speak, that generally anger is kind of the next thing. It's kind of one of those equations. Isn't that what happens, that our conversations are getting amped up and amped up and amped up, and boom, we have an explosion? Proverbs 29, 20 says, Do you see a man who speaks in haste? Other, in other words, uh, words, uh, basically, that a man who speaks without thinking? Do you see a man who speaks in haste? There is more hope for a fool than for him. If you don't think before you speak, you're going to get in trouble. Slow yourself down. Be in the moment. Be intentional about listening to others. And I know that is so difficult because some people take so long to tell a story. And I only have so much time. But you know what? When Jesus came down here, do you realize, you know, we've been going chronologically through the Gospels, and, and this is kind of in that realm because it's one of the things we skipped over was him actually taking time to sit aside with God. Him actually taking time to sit and listen to others. You realize he only had three years of ministry, and that's at the longest, because some people say, well, it, when it talks about it, it's really only talking about seasons, so really it might have only been 18 months. So between 18 months and three years, that's all he had to do to change the world. That's all the time he had. That doesn't seem like very long. But yet, what did he do? If you knew you only had three years to get the world changed, would you take time and go to a week-long wedding ceremony? Would you take time to sit and play with kids? Would you take time to go hang out with sinners and tax collectors? No, he came down here to set an example. Would you even take time to go in the morning and sit and talk to God? Pull yourself away from everything else you're doing to talk to him. That's a difficult thing to kind of wrap our head around. But once we get our head slowed down, realize that we're not God, get our heart slowed down and pursue God realizing that what he has given us really is enough. And get our mouth slowed down to be still and listen to God. Now we can work on our scheduling. Now we can work on our scheduling. And that leads us to the fourth point here. And that fourth point is this. And really there's six points here. And some of you guys went, what? Um, there's, there's six points. And we're going to expand this fourth point, the fifth point, and the sixth point next week. But the fourth point is this. Obey the fourth commandment. Obey the fourth commandment. If you don't know what the fourth commandment is, it's, it's obey the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath. 
There's a lot of debate about the Sabbath and what we should do. There's churches that say, well, you can't do anything on Sunday, so that's why we have church on Saturday night. And there's other people that say, well, it's not in the New Testament. All other nine of the of the uh, Ten Commandments are in the New Testament. The Sabbath isn't, so the Sabbath doesn't have to be recognized. Some people have said that. But let me tell you something. God himself demonstrated resting on the seventh day. Did God have to rest on the seventh day? No, he is God. But he created us and demonstrated for us to rest on the seventh day. He has made it so that we are to rest, to be still and know that he is God. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you scheduled a day off? Because what do you do on your actual day off? You run like mad. That's what you do. You go all over the place. And by the time you're done doing your errands, and you're picking up of this, and you're dropping off of that, and generally that's the kids and the kids, what time is it? It's time for bed. That's what time it is. And you get started on a whole other week, doing a whole other list of things. Be still and know that he is God. See, I said there's points five and six. I'm going to give you just a quick little touch on what those are. Number five is that we have to understand God's timing. We want to rush because we live in a microwave society. Our microwave society says, I want to have the fastest food possible. I want to go through the drive-thru. I want to get it. I want to leave. I want to go into Walmart, and I want to pick the fastest lane. We all do it. We all go, oh, oh, don't follow me. I always pick the wrong one, always. So if you're with me, you're like, I'm going over here. I'm like, that's a good idea because I'm going to go to this one. And it's going to be the slowest. There's going to be somebody whose car doesn't work, and then they're going to have the light flashing, and nobody's going to. That, that's me. We live in a society that's move, move, move. I want my patience, and I want it now. You know, that, is our, that is our thought process. But God's timing is different than ours. We're going to talk about that more next week. And the next thing is uh, that we're going to talk about next week in that verse, that be still and know that he is God. I'm going to just change it up just a little bit, and I hope nobody thinks it's heresy. But I'm going to say, be still and say no to the things that aren't God. How hard is it for us to say no? It is so very difficult. So very difficult, because we're worried about what that might do or how that might look. We're going to talk about that more next week. See, Jesus went onto the wilderness early in the morning to connect with God. He was God, yet he took time to be with God the Father. He could have stood around and talked to himself, in all honesty. He didn't have to go out, but he did. He took time. I want to challenge you this week to take time. Find a time. It's summer. Things should be slowing down. Be still. Know that he is God. Because when you're still, you know that he is God and you're not. When you're still, you understand contentment, that all those things you think you need, you really don't, except for God. The only thing that is worth pursuing, you're sitting in his lap. While you're still, you can just listen and not interrupt and not worry about what you think or what you don't. See, in men's Bible study on Friday morning while we were listening to Christmas music, we were also talking about spiritual disciplines. And, and we've kind of gone through, last week was meditation, and, and the meditation was the idea of, of taking Scripture and, and actually focusing on it, actually paying attention to what it has to say, rather than just reading it as fast as I can so I can get that checked off my list so I can go to the next thing, actually focusing on it. Then this week we talked about prayer, and we, we talked a little bit about the Lord's Prayer. And 
something, you know, I, man, I learned the Lord's Prayer when I was that tall. That was one of the first things we had to learn when I went to school, when I went to catechism, when I did all that. You know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, we forgive those who trespass against us. Right? You guys remember that? Maybe you've heard that a time or two, or you've said it a time or two in your life. Do you realize that everything up to the point of asking God to give us our daily bread is not about us? Our Father, recognizing who He is, who art in heaven, which art in heaven, recognizing where He's at, that He's at the center of heaven, that He is at the center of it all, not us being at the center of it all. You go on from there, it says, hallowed be your name. Holy, holy is your name. Lift it up, set apart from everything else, above all other names. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Not my kingdom be grown and grow myself up, and not my will be done. Yours, yours, yours. It's all about God. The first part of that prayer, yet we pray it, and many people will just pray it because it's a rote thing that you have to do. We say it that way, but when we really think about it, We're asking God to be first and not about us. And then we say, give us our daily bread, not our lifelong bread, our daily bread. Right here, right now, take care of us today. That's all we're asking. Get us through today. Forgive us as we forgive others. Deliver us from the evil. Just right now, that's all we're asking. We're not looking. We know that you're the provider. It kind of changes our whole mindset that you are God and I am not. We need to slow down. And realize that. That is my challenge to you this week. And, and even, even as I challenge you, I thought about something last night as I stood off to the side and we sang the last song. You know, the idea of a psalm was a song. It was a song that was being sung to God. It was a praise that was being sung to God or, or a heartfelt hurt that was being sung to God. If you had the opportunity to write a psalm to God, what would it say? What would your song to him be? I'm not asking you to write it to music. I'm not asking you to write out and make it poetry that it has, you know, three and then two and then three. You know, I'm not asking you to do anything. But if you wrote out a psalm to God to say, God, if you stopped and thought about who he is and what he's done, what would it sound like? Something I want you to think about and maybe even do this week as you are still with him. Let's just pray right now that, that God can open our hearts just to slow down and to put him first. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful that you are God and that we're not, as I make a horrible God. God, we are thankful that you sent your son, Jesus, to be an example to us, to take time, to enjoy life, to invest in others, to be still and be with you. God, help us to slow down because all the things we hurry for, they really don't matter that much, especially not in comparison to you. God, help us focus on you. Help it start today and be a daily thing as we begin to make it a habit, as we begin to peel back, that maybe even over the next three months, this summer, 
that we can sit back and we can unwind with you. God, speak to us this morning. I, I pray that you are already working in our hearts and our minds. I pray it in your name. Amen.